Welcome to the Von Nelson Podcast. Today is the fourth quarter, 2022, Von Nelson International Small Cap Review. And with me today are Senior Portfolio Managers, Kevin Ross and Marco Priani. And with that, Kevin and Marco, I will turn things over to you. Thank you very much, Dan. Equity markets outside of the U.S. showed a positive performance during the fourth quarter of 2022, driven by indications that inflation is decelerating and that the pace of interest rate increases from central banks is diminishing, even if almost uniformly higher rates are expected before a pivot can take place. Global markets also benefited from the Chinese government putting aside its zero-COVID policy and assuming a pro-market, pro-growth positioning, at least for the short term. Linked to the previous point, the benchmark of our strategy, MSCI IFA Small Cap Index, which includes developed markets outside of North America, was benefited by the weakening of the US dollar during the period, in addition to good performance of equities in local currency. Despite the US dollar weakening in the fourth quarter, the full year, however, still ended with a drag from the US dollar strength. It is remarkable that at its peak, the drag on performance of the USD strengthening was in the high teens in percentage terms earlier in 2022. Important factors in the underperformance were the cash position, which even even if below 5% on average, still generated a drag of almost 80 basis points in such a strong quarter for the benchmark, and the disappointing impact of Marlowe, a commercial services player in the UK and one of our largest positions, which generated an underperformance of little more than 100 basis points, as some aspects of its semi-annual report, in particular its cash generation, caused a very negative reaction from the market, which sent the shares down by more than 40% in the week's post-report. We continue to have slightly higher than average cash as we value its optionality and flexibility in an uncertain year. And after having spoken with management and analyzing detail the aspects of Marlowe's cash generation that worried the market, we concluded that their reaction was unjustified. We continue to hold the name with positive expectations. For the quarter, sectors that performed well for the benchmark included financials and discretionary, which returned 23 and 18% respectively, while utilities and real estate sectors underperformed the market with positive returns of less than 10%. It is interesting that in a context where inflation is decelerating, even if rates, as we mentioned, will continue raising for a while at a slower pace, Financials, which are geared to higher interest rates, did well, and bond-like sectors geared to lower interest rates poorly. It is uh, as if, at the end of the day, the market did not really believe the narrative that fueled the last quarter's rally. From a geographical standpoint, the large geography that clearly underperformed was Japan, with a positive return of around 12% and a return of local currency of roughly 2%. This implies that the yen appreciated more than other currencies against the US dollar, and that the traditional negative correlation between the Japanese yen and Japanese equity returns reasserted itself to some extent. Another factor that probably was relevant here is that Japan had outperformed the market within the first three quarters of 
terms of relative sector performance, industrials was the biggest detractor due to the influence of Marlowe. Consumer discretionary, also driven by selection, was our biggest relative contributor. Turnover in the portfolio included more sales than buys and a slightly concentration in fewer names, therefore. Names added were predominantly category A in the Van Nelson nomenclature, meaning quality compounders. This is not surprising as we would be focusing on category Bs or more cyclical plays once we know the profiles of the earnings decline that we have ahead of us and once the macro outlook becomes more positive or clearer at least. From a positioning standpoint, our bigger overweight at roughly 10% is information technology, with a focus on digital transformation, secular growth, and recurring visible revenue. We have limited exposure to semiconductors and none to unprofitable tech companies. Given the interest rates development going forward and the attractive valuation that these stocks achieved because of the underperformance of the sector last year, we feel very optimistic about this positioning. Real estate is our biggest underweight at around 7%, but at some point, no far into the future, this should be reduced, above all considering the absence of utilities or other bond proxy type of names in the portfolio. Kevin, 2023 presents itself with plenty of investment challenges. Uh, high and rising interest rates, inflation still at elevated levels, a likely recession in many of our geographies, geopolitical challenges, and a long, etc. What things we can be certain of? What would surprise you? Thank you, Marco. If we look at last year, we saw the dollar index peak at the end of the summer almost 20% higher than at the beginning of the year. The dollar gave up some of that ground, but if you look at over the, the whole year, it was still up almost 10%. We would be surprised to see a similar performance this year, given the relative trajectory of interest rates in the U.S. and the non-U.S. markets and an improved economic growth outlook for China. Only a material worsening of the geopolitical situations could lead to a similar performance of the dollar as we saw last year. If we look historically at the real effective exchange rates, the U.S. dollar looks more expensive than in all but two time periods over the last 50 years. We are not currency forecasters, of course, but the fact that we have likely seen a peak of the U.S. dollar momentum should be positive for non-U.S. investments. Linked to the previous point, we have seen China's political leaders concerned about economic, economic performance and taking actions that are likely to promote, at least over the short and medium term, their economic growth, looking at many different measures. The most obvious thing we've seen is the liberalization of their COVID policies, but we can now add to that uh, seizing of the regulatory crackdowns and any new regulations toward the tech platform companies which led to rounds of layoffs and pullback in investment. In addition to that, we've seen loosening of credit towards real estate companies, eliminating trade sanctions with Australia in several commodity areas, just to cite a few. It would be an important surprise if we see China changing their policy and adopting policies that could negatively impact their economic growth or that are focused on scoring political points as we saw during the periods of 2021 and 2022. The government's changing focus on growth 
should be certainly positive for many emerging economies that are commodity producers, but more importantly for this strategy, develop markets that have a large influence of exports, including countries such as Australia, Germany, and Japan. Marco? I agree, Kevin, and I would stress that even in local currency, the U.S. dollar strength is strongly negatively correlated to non-U.S. equity performance. So a dollar that is not so strong would be a good background for our asset class. One other observation we saw recently is the IMF was pointing out that they estimate one-third of global or country economies are likely to fall into recession this year. So what is your take, Marco, on the European situation? Should we see a mild or a deep recession? Well, recently, uh, today, I think, uh, or yesterday, some bulge bracket firm has said that we might not even see a recession in the eurozone, which I believe is on the too optimistic side. We can see, however, that at the beginning of 2023, some positive short-term situations are aligned, helping some optimism that we see reflected in recent stock performance. One aspect that is random and helped materially is the unseasonably warm weather. This makes the net withdrawals from gas storage nearly zero recently, which is literally unprecedented over the last five years at this time of the year. Europe has withdrawn half as much gas from storage facilities at this point in the past two winters, and LNG gasification plants have been uh, built up and set into operation in record time. Additionally, autumn was wet and windy in Europe, helping hydro, uh, hydro and wind power generation. French nuclear plants are going slowly back into full operation. German industrial production remains resilient, and unemployment in the Eurozone remains near record low levels. The Ukraine war is intense, but it's not worsening. These uh, positive uh, aspects, however, can change rapidly if liquidity of credit tensions arise or if geopolitical threats increase. The mere fact that we will have increased economic activity in China will generate more competition for energy that will be putting additional stress in the difficult European energy markets. One thing is clear, however. Equity valuations in Europe reflect still a pretty bad scenario. There is re-rating potential during the year if the winter of 23-24 starts to look less threatening, driven by new energy infrastructure, a reduction in geopolitical tensions, among other factors. This is a huge difference with other geographies. I am thinking, for instance, of India, Indonesia, for instance, where we can almost be certain of a strong macroeconomic background, but with those expectations to a large extent reflected in equity prices. One aspect that I find uh, intriguing for this year is that Japan is unique among large economies in not having raised interest rates yet. What can we expect from Japan and the yen in 2023? 
Uh, thank, thanks, Marco. And just to put some context here, Japan is the largest country exposure in the benchmark, about 32 uh, percent of, of the overall index. And uh, we have extensive experience investing in Japan and, and have several trips planned, research trips planned this year to go to, to, go to Japan to get on-the-ground insights. But our take on the BOJ, uh, it's, we've seen it start to slow its exit from an unsustainable monetary policy regime. They raised the yield curve control target range from 25 to 50 basis points announced in, uh, towards the end of last year. The move itself was not uh, surprising to us. Uh, what was more surprising was the timing, as, as most uh, investors were expecting changes to occur after Kuroda left his position at the BOJ in the spring. We think uh, the main reasons the BOJ had to move uh, at this time were several. Uh, first, the JGB market was facing liquidity issues and the BOJ had to often buy close to 100% or even more than 100% of the newly issued JGBs. And the second reason is there was a significant pressure from the government to tighten as inflation had been running uh, faster than they were anticipating. And then finally, the third reason, uh, Kuroda wanted to make a surprise, wanted to give the market a surprise when not many were expecting policy, policy shifts and when the liquidity was very low. Thinking about what is next and, and really what is the biggest question and what are the consequences? The BOJ has several options available in our view, but almost all the options would mean higher nominal interest rates. The most probable initial shift based on their historical behavior would be to raise the yield curve control target range from 50 basis points up to 75 basis points or even 100 basis points. The other option is to raise the 10-year target from 0% to 25 basis points or 50 basis points. The BOJ can also get rid of the negative policy rate target of 0%. Now, the consequences of such changes will be certainly higher rates, uh, but the shift may be limited in our, in our view. Uh, that's because the BOJ owns roughly 50% of all the JGBs outstanding, and domestic financial institutions own roughly another 40%, meaning that foreign ownership is very low at only 10%. Compared to the, the pre-QE period in 2013, um, the BOJ's JGB holdings, just to give some context, has increased by more than 5x. Uh, this works as a stock effect and prevents the rates from rising significantly. In addition, nominal rates before yield, yield curve control, the negative rates and the QE are introduced are not so much higher than the current level, which suggests that the rates will remain relatively stable even though there might be some short-term volatilities in the next few months. Um, as, the rates move, as, as the rates move will be relatively subdued, uh, the impact on credit and the economic environment in Japan will be limited as well. Uh, additionally, uh, corporate and household balance sheets in Japan remain relatively high, healthy, uh, which also limits the impact of slightly higher rates. Some argue uh, that JGB rates had been an anchor in global uh, interest rate market, and any change in JGB policies could impact global rates uh, circumstances as well. Uh, although we agree uh, to a certain degree, and we saw some marginal impact in December following the BOJ's announcement, uh, we believe overall uh, there will be a limited impact 
from from change in, in JGP's policy, the, the BOJ's policies. Uh, they still hold. They still will hold significant amount of treasuries, and they're not going to sell a material amount of holdings uh, uh, simply because the, the yield has increased by 10 basis points or so. With that, I'll turn it over to you, Marco, um, and and uh, back to Dan. Thank you, fellas, and we very much appreciate the insight and thorough insight on the international small cap landscape. And with that, we'll transition to returns in the fourth quarter of 2022. The Von Nelson. International small cap strategy returned 13.24% gross, 12.97% net, versus the MSCI EFA small cap index at 15.79%. The one-year number for all of 2022 is negative 25.54% gross, negative 26.3% net, and that is against the MSCI EFA small cap index at negative 21.39%. Five-year number for the Von Nelson International Small Cap Strategy is 1.19% gross, 0.06% net, again, versus the MSCI EFA Small Cap Index at negative 0.05%. With that, we'll wrap up the fourth quarter. We'll wrap up 2022. And Marco and Kevin, look forward to having you back here soon. The views, information, and or opinions expressed during this podcast are solely those of the individuals involved and do not necessarily represent those of Von Nelson and its employees. Von Nelson does not verify and assumes no responsibility for the accuracy of any of the information contained in the podcast. The primary purpose of the information, opinions, and thoughts presented in this podcast is to educate and inform. This podcast, or any podcast in the series, does not constitute professional investment advice or services, and any reliance on the information provided is done at your own risk. Past performance is not an indication of future performance. By accessing this podcast, you acknowledge that the entire contents of this podcast are the property of Von Nelson or used by Von Nelson with permission and are protected under U.S. copyright and trademark laws. Securities discussed within this podcast may be held in the Von Nelson strategies.